Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Worth More podcast. I'm your host, Cami Bleece, and so excited that you are back listening. I am thrilled to share this episode with y'all today. I interviewed Mary Tobin, who is an incredible therapist here in the Los Angeles area. And actually, one of the things that her and I get really into is her experience having gastric bypass surgery at the age of 22. It was incredible to hear her explain kind of how she got there and what her life looked like afterwards. And I think that a lot of people might be surprised to hear her experiences, as well as the thing that she learned through this whole journey. This isn't about pro this surgery or anti this surgery. What I really wanted to do was to give Mary an opportunity to share her experience so that maybe you could learn what it's like from a firsthand perspective, because that was something that was new to me, even though I already had a lot of opinions on this type of surgery. And it was really great to be able to talk to her about it and about why she did it and, you know, what she would say to someone who's considering it. And I think that it was really insightful and we'll learn all about that journey as well as how she's doing now, how she's taking care of herself now, how she handles self-care, how this has influenced her work with all of her clients and so much more. I cannot wait for you to hear this and not wait for you to tell me what you think. So let's go ahead and hop right on in. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, I would love if we could just start off by you kind of giving a little basic intro of yourself and kind of your journey and how you became a therapist and your weight loss journey and just give people an insight to who you are. Sure. So there's so much to unpack there, but I'll keep it concise. <laughs> so for me, I was, I, kind of, I grew up overweight. I was the kid who was, you know, sort of the chubby kid. And I saw myself most importantly as really overweight, really different than other kids. So that's been, that was my experience since childhood for as long as I can remember. And as a teenager, I struggled with mental health problems, substance abuse problems. Um, I ended up getting some treatment for that when I was about 16. I finally started getting some mental health support myself. And so that sort of started off my mental health journey. Um, and I, I did continue to gain weight, though. So when I was 22, I decided to get gastric bypass. And um, about six months afterwards, mm-hmm. after losing a significant amount of weight, not drinking for a long time, uh, because you're not really supposed to drink after having weight loss surgery, that, um, that extreme, mm-hmm. I started drinking yeah. really heavily. And over a year and a half, that progressed. Mm-hmm. And I got sober when I was 24 and then it ended up gaining more weight again after having lost about 130 pounds Mm -hmm. at my largest weight loss. And I finally started focusing more on my overall health. So at about 24 years old, I, you know, Mm -hmm. was finally actually starting to address a lot of the problems that were related to my food addiction, you know, substance addiction, et cetera. And it wasn't until I was about 26, though, mm-hmm. that I really started to dig more on into the physical aspect of it. And so now I'm 30. I just turned 30 a couple months mm-hmm. ago. And I am 
healthier than I've ever been physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of it. So it's really been quite a journey for me. Um, and I actually didn't become a therapist until I had a couple of years sober. So my entire time that I've been a therapist, I've been in recovery and on my, you know, on the later end Mm. of my sort of like my eating disorder being binge eating. So in that recovery as well. So. Got it. That is so interesting. I knew like when I kind of heard your story, I would, I just wanted to kind of share your journey with people. I think that it's something that not a lot of people Mm -hmm. talk about or there's a lot of unknowns. So I would love to know, you said you got your gastric bypass at 22. So kind of leading up to that, you mentioned you always kind of felt like the chubby kid or you always saw yourself as bigger. Mm -hmm. What struggles do you feel like really contributed Mm -hmm. to your weight and those feelings of insecurity? Well, it's interesting because I can look back now at myself as a child and and I can reflect and be like, I was not, I was not like a typical overweight kid. Like I I can Mm. see myself more in a realistic way rather than the way I viewed myself then. And I definitely became very heavy later on. But I, I do think that the way that I viewed myself as being different from others had a big effect on my weight gain as I became a teenager. Um, and so for me, big contributor was definitely learned behaviors from my family. Um, you know, we, my, my sister and I joke okay. that my mom would never, we couldn't have a meal unless it had a name. So we couldn't just have like protein, you know, carbs, veggies, like it had to be like beef stroganoff or <laughs> something it. that like was special or, or whatnot. It. So we, we had very, and my mom actually had gastric bypass four years before me. So that's part of what motivated me to do it at such a young age. Mm. Um, and, and she never, I was never shamed by my family. So that wasn't my experience. Now, honestly, I was not made fun of bullied anything like that in school. I was my bully. Like I was the one who beat myself up inside. I was the one who said the meanest things to myself, compared Mm. myself to others. Um, I grew up in orange County. So Mm. there's, just a space that there can be, um, you know, very close to Los Angeles, which I love, yeah, live in, yeah. et cetera. But there's just a lot of judgment, I think, in Southern California. Yeah. People always going to the beach, people yeah. always being active. And that was just not my story. I hated mm. movement. I hated exercise. Um, other than hiking, that was the only thing I really in, kind of enjoyed. But I, yeah. I just had so much shame around being seen. And so I do think that the weight for me was also a way of me protecting myself from others. So it's like a barrier. Like having weight is like a protection. Like it keeps me safe. It keeps me hidden. People aren't going to want to date me, at least in my head, right? People aren't going to want to date me, be with me, et cetera. Um, and so I I think that there were a lot of things that, that led to me feeling like I was not worthy, right? I wasn't, I wasn't worth, um, healthy relationships Mm. uh, with myself, with others, any of that. And so I really wanted to change myself. So that's why I ended up getting the weight loss surgery at such a young age, which is not common at all. No. Well, I think it's so interesting. One of the things that you said, which I feel like a lot of people can probably relate to because I can in some ways too, where it was like, it wasn't like your family was necessarily bullying you or your friends or people or whatever. It was like Mm -hmm. you yourself. And then we have to kind of think, well, like, why am Mm -hmm. I being mean to myself? And like, what messages am I 
kind of getting from TV and magazines. We didn't have social media really at that time and like our age, like, you know, but yeah. where am I hearing these messages mm-hmm. that there's something wrong with me? There's something wrong with my body. Even if someone's not saying it, there's, I'm still feeling mm-hmm. it for a reason. And I think that that's something that a lot mm-hmm. of people can relate to. Like, even if you weren't directly bullied by how you looked or if you were different, because of what our culture tells us is quote, quote, normal or beautiful or desirable or successful, you can't help Mm -hmm. but kind of take those messages in and start to believe them, even if you don't mean to, or even if you don't want to. So I find that really interesting Mm -hmm. that for you, it wasn't like, oh, I was picked on my whole life and I got that. It was like, no, I was kind of the person that did that to myself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's taking all of the external things that we hear, that we see, et cetera, and internalizing it. Yeah. And the person we're going to talk to the most in our lives is ourselves. Like we're, yeah. our voice is the voice that we're going to hear more than anyone else's. And so mm-hmm. my voice was so mean, so, so mean to mm-hmm. myself. So um, yeah. it, what it did lead to was binge eating. So that was my experience where I would, I didn't really have an appetite all day. This is something, you know, I've been, my my mom actually recently sent me an article on and I need to look more into is like a disorder where Mm -hmm. you don't have an appetite and it leads to the binge eating at night. So I know it's not in the DSM yet, but it's definitely something that um, I resonated with when I saw this information because that's what I would do at that age and in high school and after Mm. high school beginning college I um you know smoked a lot of weed and stuff my friends would all want to eat and and I didn't like I had no appetite and I'd come home and I would be like bear clawing ice cream and like and like all these things that Mm. we would laugh at but wasn't really funny like I was just I became ravenous at night and just trying to fill 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 because there were emotions and needs that weren't being met. And so I was just trying to fill myself up yeah. to get the, that need met and it, nothing worked. Well, and it's so interesting too, kind of what you say is like, oh, like I can totally see the like TV show or the movie or the gif or whatever that is that person who's just like, just like getting into the ice cream and we're like, oh, ha ha, mm-hmm. this is me emotionally eating or whatever. But really like, this is an important thing to acknowledge and not to judge, not to make fun of. Like all of us eat emotionally, period. That is a normal thing to do. But I think mm-hmm. we're learning more and more that a, a lot of people, myself included, if you weren't taught how to properly deal with your emotions, you find other ways to numb or to feel good or to feel peace or to feel happy. And food is a really easy way to do that. Food is such a natural way to do that. So there's no reason to Mm -hmm. like judge that experience for someone and I hate how we've made so much light of it and not to like say that it's not you know I want to normalize it for sure but I also want people to understand that like the reason that you're doing that is because there's some emotional need oftentimes that's like not truly being dealt with and processed and rather than making it just be this like Mm-hmm. funny mm-hmm. side plot it's like no no that's actually like actually Rebecca a very serious thing that we shouldn't just like yeah. gloss over for a laugh <laughs> um yeah. so I would love to know what made you want to do gastric bypass rather than the more I'm putting this in quotes traditional route like diet and exercise mm-hmm. and something that you and I can definitely get into or we can table this for another discussion obviously like I want to make it very clear that weight loss is not simply boiled down to diet and exercise, that there are a lot of other issues that come into play when you're 
talking about weight, when you're mm-hmm. talking about weight loss, that's socioeconomic factors, diet history, sleep, stress, genetics. It's so much more than just like eat less and work out more. And really that it can be the opposite need for some people. Mm-hmm. But at that time, and what most of us are yeah. used to hearing is like, oh, okay, well, diet and exercise will be your the best ticket. So for you at 22, which is so young, and you still have so much you know, time ahead of you to like, I'll say again in quotes, like work on yourself. Why did you choose to go down the route of gastric Mm -hmm. bypass, which is a pretty intense and serious decision at that age? Yeah. And I went for gastric bypass, which is the most extreme of the bariatric, you know, weight loss surgeries, because there's other options I could have taken and I wanted that one. So there's, there's a few reasons. So number one, Mm -hmm. um, like I mentioned, my mom had gotten gastric bypass four years before me. So I'd seen her experience with it. And my best friend's mom also got the same Mm. surgery and they both went to the same surgeon. I went to the same surgeon and it all boils down to though, honestly, I didn't want to do the work partially. Like that's a big part of it. And I didn't believe that I could. That's the biggest part of it Mm. is I, I was working full time. So definitely socioeconomic Mm. factors played into role. I was working full time as a manager at a bank and I was going to school full time, getting my bachelor's degree. And, um, I felt like I couldn't invest the energy and time and money and everything that it takes that takes to achieve the weight loss that I was looking for. But also I really wanted to be able to get those results fast. I wanted Mm. to, see the, the, the weight just fall off. Like I saw it fall off of my mom and my friend's mom. And I wanted, um, I wanted it to just happen where I didn't feel like I had to do the work too. I, I, it was, it was very much for me, the easy way out. And it's crazy because I had to do such extreme things. Like, like you only get liquids for a long period of time. You have to be so strict. And yet for me, I really needed that intense structure of you cannot break this because at that time I had not really ever done anything that required an extreme amount of challenging to me structure. I'd done challenging things. I'd achieved a lot in school Mm -hmm. and my job and, and whatnot, but it wasn't challenging to me. Weight loss was challenging to me. So I felt like I needed this Mm. to make it not so challenging and make it so I didn't have a choice. Got it. That's so, that's so interesting. Cause I think you're totally not alone in that. Like that is why the diet industry in and of itself is like a mm-hmm. multi, multi-billion dollar industry because no one really wants to do the work. The work is not sexy. The work is not fun. Mm-hmm. When I continually tell people like, look, it is you showing up every single day and doing something small and continuing to show up over and over and over again, even when it's boring, even when it's not fun, even when it's not sexy, like that just isn't fun for people. They're like, I want a 30 day quick fix program. I want the surgery. I want the pill. I want the potion or powder or whatever. And I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. we know that that is not really ultimately the best solution or, you know, that's why like 95% of diets fail. And as much as I can like say that into the microphone and like yell Mm -hmm. it, there will be someone who starts a diet tomorrow, you know, because they're like, no, 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 this is different for me. And I think it's so interesting because we've been so conditioned to want the quick fix and believe that it's out there and believe that like, it's totally available to us if we could just find Mm -hmm. 
the right thing. And that's, that's super tricky to navigate. I would, you know, after getting the surgery, I would love to know, like, how did you Mm -hmm. feel? Was it everything that you hoped it would be? You know, did it just like all your dreams came true kind of thing? (laughs) Well, (laughs) no, it, it was amazing. I'm not going to lie. You know, I was almost 300 pounds. I lost 130 pounds. I lost the weight of a, essentially a person and all within, I think that weight loss happened within the first maybe six to nine months. Like it was fast. It was really fast. I physically, I felt a lot better because I somewhat like in some ways, because I didn't realize how I wasn't really in my body. I wasn't really connecting with my body when I was at my heaviest weight. And I started connecting more with my body as I lost the weight because I, I allowed myself to, I think my mind was finally going to say like, okay, you can get in touch with this parts of these parts of you because now you don't hate them as much. But, um, I still wasn't fulfilled. Like I still didn't have that feeling that I had been trying to use food and at other times other substances also I would use relationships Mm -hmm. like those were my three things that I Mm -hmm. used to try to fill me up other people food substances um I still wasn't getting that need met so emotionally Mm -hmm. I was I was happy because I liked the weight loss but I wasn't the the Mm -hmm. happiness that I know now to be more stable and consistent and not reliant Mm. on what the scale says or how much weight I lost, you know, in a day or a week or whatever else. And I felt like I was more attractive to people, but I, and Mm. so that was really appealing to me because I'd never really had allowed myself to have that with like be even be seen as attractive Mm. to anyone really. So Mm. that I enjoyed, but I didn't, I didn't feel fulfilled. (laughs) Like it didn't do what I, all of what I wanted to do. It did the weight, it did the weight loss part, but I wasn't, I wasn't where I wanted to be emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is, it's something that's really important to kind of take note on because you felt more attractive. You felt like, okay, I finally can love myself. I can finally be, you know, good enough because you've essentially achieved what you have been told you're working towards. You are working towards being smaller because once you're smaller, then you can have all of these things. But you became smaller and we're like, okay, now I I feel like maybe I'm more worthy of those things, but I don't actually feel good about myself. Like, because it wasn't, it isn't the weight. Like so much mm-hmm. of it isn't the weight. It is not the scale. It's mm-hmm. what you believe that number on the scale means about you. It's what you believe that that weight on your body means about you. And it's really hard to change that perspective in a culture in which is constantly trying to tell us the opposite. And so I think that that is, so I know that that leads sort of into one of the things that you mentioned earlier, where pretty quickly after you lost the weight and got the surgery, you really started getting more heavily into drinking, which was very not advised especially mm-hmm. after the surgery. And then again, on top of that, not just taking care of yourself overall. At what point mm-hmm. do you feel like you realized that there was really a deeper issue going on? Like this was just not, this wasn't the weight loss. The weight loss did not fix it. Clearly there's mm-hmm. something else going on. And how did that make you feel to sort of acknowledge that it was a deeper issue? 
Yeah. So I started drinking. It was about six or seven months after my surgery. So it's funny. I can, I can like pick, imagine the whole timeline, even though it was six years ago now that I, eight years ago that I got the surgery, six years ago that I got sober. So it was two years and one month after getting the surgery. So a year and a half of drinking. So I went from you know, post-surgery, trying, like losing all the weight, being really strict and rigid because I had to be post-surgery. And then, you know, the the two other vices came in to try to fulfill me. So relationships, so a guy, not a good one, and alcohol um, and other substances, but primarily Mm -hmm. that was the one that kind of took me out. And I went from, you know, okay, occasional drinks, to every weekend night, to every single night, to basically 24 hours a day. Like I escalated to such an extreme degree. And um, the ER doctor, when I got sober and had to go to the ER, um, he told me that I, you know, my weight, I was, I was less than I was now, than I am now. And um, he said at my weight, Uh, being like 50 pounds less than him, I, the amount that I was drinking would have given him alcohol poisoning because after having gastric bypass, your body um, also builds up a tolerance faster. So you're more affected by alcohol initially, but then you build up a tolerance faster. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, for, for me, it was like, like I said, a year and a half until I actually got sober, but it was maybe it was only a couple of months before that, like all these awful things happened as a result of my choices. And, um, none of that like led me to think that there was a deeper problem. It wasn't until I looked at myself in the eye one morning and I could not recognize Mm -hmm. myself. Like I, I was looking in my eyes and there was just a complete disconnect from who I knew myself to be able to be Mm -hmm. and who I was in that moment. And, I, I, it was, it was one of the most jarring moments of my entire life to look at yourself in a mirror and not be able to know who you are. Um, and that's when I realized like, it's not, it's not about what I do, how I look, any of that. It's about like who I am. That's the problem. It's like all in here. It doesn't matter what I'm putting into my body, whether it be a substance, food, a person in my life, whatever, like there's a problem within me. Mm. If I cannot be okay with myself, not find myself to have any confidence, any worthiness, any love for myself, like that's a me problem, not anything else. And me internal out without the body, even like more of like a spiritual problem, more of a soul problem, personality that, um, so that, I mean, it was, it was pretty far into it. Okay. It was, so it was when I was 24 years old. Okay. So six years ago. Okay. Yeah. Do you feel like kind of having to acknowledge that just felt kind of like, I don't know, like a mix of sort of daunting and also like, shoot, like I thought that I'd kind of fixed it and I thought I'd feel so much better. And you're just like, what the heck? Like, this is not all it was cracked up to be. Like, I just feel like mm-hmm. that would be such a frustrating moment to just be like, this sucks. Like this totally sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's been several moments like that in my life where I'm just like, Oh, I thought I fixed the problem. Right. I, Oh, I lost the weight. I thought I fixed the problem. Oh, I stopped drinking. I thought I fixed the problem. Oh, I got out of that relationship. I thought I fixed the problem. So I've had that happen three different times until I finally (laughs) was going to fix the actual problem and start changing the way that I view myself. Yeah. 
So you've been sober for six years now, you said. So how has your life felt working through some of those deeper struggles and how has it affected the view that you even have on your body now? It's been really hard. <laughs> um, and it wasn't, yeah. it's interesting because I've been actually reflecting on this a lot recently before even, you know, I got connected with you for this podcast or anything. Um, but because I do a similar type of work with a lot of my clients, because there are a lot of people, as you know, out mm-hmm. there who have body image issues, who have self-worth mm-hmm. issues, whether or not it's related to body. Um, and so I, I've yeah. been recognizing for maybe the last six months or so to, I'd really say the last year that I have felt more worthy, more confident, more loving of myself than, than ever before, than even for like a moment before consistently. So I've been trying to think, I'm like, well, how did I do it? Cause how do I bottle this and give it out to my clients, to the yeah. world? How do I share this? Right. I know it's like, give the people what they need. I'm like, I want you to feel, sometimes I'll just be on a walk and I'll, and I'll think of a, like a client and I'll be like, oh, I just wish so-and-so could feel this way because I know how much they're struggling. And like, I, I have so much compassion and love for my clients. So yeah. it, it comes up a lot for me and I think of them quite often. And, um, I realized it's, it's been this journey though. I had to have all of these experiences, whether they be positive or negative that helped me learn and build, um, my faith in myself. So there's this thing that I I've been saying for many years, um, that's I am faith over fear. So it's, it's like an affirmation essentially, but I, I use it as like a, when like just to help me get through a difficult moment, if I'm feeling high anxiety or feeling uh, worthless or like angry or upset or rejected or whatever else, I remind Mm -hmm. myself like I can, and I, I am able to have faith in myself that I can just do anything. Like I I can overcome a lot. I can experience Mm -hmm. emotions and don't let them be a catastrophe. So there's a lot of, um, practicing how to experience emotions without letting those emotions destroy me. Not, not, not feeling them, not numbing out by gorging on a ton of junk food or, um, you know, blacking out or throwing my life away for some guy, whatever it is. It's it's, no, I, I can feel them and I can sit through them and they'll pass. And just for me, it's also action. So, I, a couple of years ago, it was about four years ago now, I started getting into fitness and that for me was really big. Um, it was big, big, huge part of my journey because that helped me learn that my body is capable of so much more than I gave it credit for. Um, and I like doing things that are hard. <laughs> I like doing things that um, I didn't feel like I was capable of doing and it, it got me out of my comfort zone of just like, you know, okay, I have to cook a certain way or eat a certain way after the gastric bypass because I did gain weight when I got sober and mm. I was able to I, get myself to a, a healthier point. So yeah. I haven't tried to lose weight in a really long time now. Um, but I, I did lose some just because that was part of for me being healthy again after that bump up after yeah. getting sober. And it's really been about listening to my body. So I was saying when I was overweight, I never paid attention. I never felt it. I never listened to it. Nothing like that. Um, So I've started to listen to it, have compassion for it. Mm. So if 
I'm feeling bloated. Oh, it's okay. Like you, you know, you got, I talk to my body. So it's like, <laughs> oh, you, you, you didn't like something or, oh, this is normal. Like this is what bodies do throughout the day. Um, so some of that, um, I, I also, I think I shared this with you previously. I had gotten about a year and a half ago now I got, um, that my skin removed. So I had a tummy tuck and I had a breast augmentation mm-hmm. after the extreme weight loss. And that's something we can, we can touch on too, if you'd like, but that for me was not about, um, punishing my body or ch- like, Oh, I got to change it. Cause I hate it. It was more right. of just in alignment with what my needs were. Yeah. Um, so I, I just really tried to, to allow myself to be, uh, and it's taken a long time though. I, there's a lot of practices that I engage in to help myself and they've, those I've built on over time. Yeah. I think I love that. I think that's so, that's so hard for people is to kind of bottle up this, like, how can I just let myself be? Like, how can I be kind to the person that I am right now, kind to the body that I have right now and just like be okay with her in this season? I would like to, I think that this is something that I, I do believe that you can love yourself and be working to change yourself. I don't think that those have to be mutually exclusive. I think Mm -hmm. that the root of those desires is really important to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. I think that like why you want those things and like what you think you'll get from them, all those questions that I will challenge people on if they're like wanting certain change, but how like, yes, you did have certain surgeries that some people would say like, Oh, if you really loved yourself, you wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel like you, um, find that balance and, you know, own, like I can love myself and choose to do these things for myself. Like they don't have to be separate. Mm-hmm. I love that because I, what you just said, because I, I practice dialectical behavioral therapy and the philosophy of dialectics is that two opposing forces can both be true. So when someone mm. says, I love my body, but I really want to change it. The, but negates the first thing that was said that you love your body. So when you say like you did, uh, you know, I love my body and I want to change things about my body. That's allowing both to be true. So dialectical thinking, that's what mm-hmm. I use. So mm-hmm. for me, when I, when I had thought about for many years, I thought about getting my um, skin removed because it had, you know, extremely fast weight loss is going to lead to loose skin. That's another byproduct of um, like a gastric bypass type of surgery. And so for me, I did exactly what you said. I questioned myself for a long time. Like, why do I want to do this? Am I doing it for someone other than myself? Am I doing it um, for, you know, for the reasons that align with my values and my values can be very different than your values that can be very different than someone else's values. And if I act in a way that aligns with my values, then I'm not going to be anxious about it. I'm not going to be in distress about it. So for me, I, about a year, year ago, a little over a year ago, I picked up running and, um, or no, I'm sorry, two years ago, I picked up running something I, I listened to your episode actually about your experience with that and how you hated it. You're not a runner, et cetera. That was my story. Hated it. Not a runner. Never thought I would do it. Running the mile in middle school was potentially one of the most like distressing things for me during those years that are already distressing for anyone at that age. And, um, and so I picked up running and with that, 
uh, I was really actually uncomfortable. So that was one of the motivators for me that led Mm. to me wanting to change my body. I loved it. Like my body has done such amazing things. Like it's taken me across like the Mm. country. It's taken me across the world. It's helped me climb mountains. It makes me delicious food. Like it does so much. It helps me be present and play with my niece and, you know, drives me to work. Like all of the things, like I, my body does so much. It's so freaking cool. And there's things that I'm like, oh, I'd be more comfortable physically in my body. I would be more comfortable if I did this. It's the same reason I choose to eat the way that I choose to eat when I do. And I have no specific diet plan, nothing like that, but I pay attention to what my body likes, what it, what's going to make it feel good, feel fulfilled, yeah. feel like it's, it's needs are met. I, I can now tell, Oh, I really need some more leafy green vegetables. Like my body tells me, or, Oh, I really need some more meat. I love, <laughs> I'm like, it need, like I need it. Or, Oh, I really need carbs right now. It's, it's my body knows. And so if I can listen yeah. to it, then I can, I can respect it. I can honor it. I think that's such a good point because I feel like so many people don't know how to listen to themselves. They don't trust themselves because we have been taught for so long to Mm -hmm. disconnect from ourselves because we've essentially been told, you don't know what you want. You don't know what you need. That's why you need this plan. That's why you need this program. And what we're having to learn is this coming back to ourselves. And I think the beautiful thing about your journey is that you have learned how to listen to yourself. You have learned how to really be in touch with her because she will tell you when she needs things and when Mm -hmm. she wants things. And like, you will know when she's feeling, you know, like lazy, I'll say in quotes, or like truly needs a rest day. You'll know when Mm -hmm. she like really wants the donut because it sounds good. Or she really wants the donut because she's sad and trying to numb, you know, like if you can get in touch with yourself Mm -hmm. that way, you will know these things. That doesn't mean you still don't need the donut. And that doesn't mean that you still don't skip the workout, but at least, you know, and you can have that conversation that I think a lot of people feel like is impossible for them. Um, But really is something that can completely change your relationship with yourself. And I know I love that you have discovered that. And I also love one of the things that you said earlier about one of the lessons that you kind of say to yourself is like faith over fear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I am faith over fear. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's so beautiful. Are there any, like through this process, what are some of the other like lessons that you've learned for yourself that maybe someone else could really, you know, take home and not maybe have to go through all the things that you had to, but, or something that they could relate to, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I... I learned the biggest lesson I'd say is just learning how to love myself and be proud of the person who I am and knowing that I'm worthy, not because of what I do, just because Mm -hmm. of being me, being a human existing. Mm -hmm. It's not about, Oh, did I go for a five mile run today? Oh, did I complete that marathon? Oh, did I eat a certain amount of calories or whatever else? Or, oh, did I, how many clients did I see today? Or how much money did I make or whatever else, right? It's about, oh no, I am, I'm just worthy of love, respect of being honored just for being me. That's it. So, you know, knowing how to love yourself can look different for each of us though. So I think for me, like I have a whole set of practices that involve me loving myself every single day that I do. Mm. And that is imperative to my own like well-being 
what are, if you don't mind sharing, like what are some of your like self-care or self-love practices? Totally. So I, again, it all comes like for me, a big, a big, big turning point started with the getting sober, not the changing my weight or anything. Mm-hmm. Cause that was where I had to finally get a little more clear headed. But, um, even after that, it took, I'd say another two years or so, two and a half years until I really started to increase my overall well-being. But what I started doing then was, um, for me, prayer, which I'm not religious at all, but it's more of like a universe type of like spiritual, like everything being. So just putting out there into the world, into the universe, um, like gratitude. So I write a gratitude list every single morning. So I have a whole routine in the morning. I write a gratitude list. Um, I do a free write stream of consciousness, just a little one, just kind of write out whatever comes to mind. I have a gratitude calendar and I answer a prompt in that every single day. I do um, a reading from, you know, a 12 step recovery program. I do a reading from a codependent, um, author, Melanie Beatty. She's amazing. I do her daily reading. Um, I meditate (laughs) and then I have a whole set and this one's a little bit newer, but been so awesome, which is, um, some affirmations that I say, which I've never been like huge, huge on affirmations. For me, it's really about finding the ones that Mm -hmm. I feel connected to and in, in more of like a, Oh, I'm opening up my heart. I'm opening up my, uh, my mind, my spirit to having a new experience. Um, and, and also this practice in called meta meditation, where you, you send like loving kindness to yourself is what we call it in DBT. Um, it's, so it's a DBT skill. It's in 12 step programs. It's in Buddhism. It's very common. And that is to send well wishes to either yourself, to loved ones, to enemies, to whomever. And it's to decrease your anger, your ill will, your resentment towards that person. So for someone like myself in the past who hated myself, who thought that I was awful, ugly, stupid, made huge mistakes, could never do anything right. Loving kindness at first for a lot of us is really uncomfortable if we don't really like ourselves. And the more that I do it, I love it now. And I, I give myself a nice hug every single day. I give myself a hug. And this started during the pandemic um, when I was living alone. Right. So I give myself (laughs) a hug. I have my clients do this too. And I kiss, I kiss myself on both shoulders and I'm just, sometimes I really nuzzle in there and, <laughs> and get really, get really in touch with myself and my body and, um, giving myself loving touch too. So just kind of like, like being gentle with myself, with my arms, my legs, you know, and, and then the other thing I do is talk to my body. So I've started this too, most recently, a few months ago, daily speaking to my body, um, telling my body, like, you're strong. Thank you for guiding me. I trust mm. you, you know, I, thank you. And, and asking my body, what messages do you have for me? Mm. And just kind of, and I'll randomly do it. Like I kind of started to do it earlier. I'm like, Oh, it's okay. Like <laughs> I have that compassion, that gentleness, the, the, the kindness that like I'd show to like my niece, like, who's my, mm-hmm. the highlight of my life. Like I would never, I would never be mean to her. I would never call her fat. I would never call her stupid. I would cry if I heard her saying those things to herself. So why would I do it to myself? Yeah. I think that it's the way that you talk to yourself is so powerful and it can feel like a little cheesy and a little hokey and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that so often it isn't the words themselves, right? Like 
it's not that being fat is bad, but it's the connotations of which you know the weight that it carries and what that makes them feel about yourself. And like when you can shift the power that those words have, the power that Mm -hmm. that kind of thinking has over you, you really can Mm -hmm. shift how you feel about yourself. And I, I am sure that this has had an impact on how you work with clients. Like, how do you feel like your experience has changed maybe how you were? Mm. And I know you didn't like get into therapy until you were a couple years sober, but like, how do you feel like this has really impacted you working with them? I feel like it is some, like the work that I've done for myself has made it possible for me to do the work that I do as a therapist, because I can model for them what it looks like to have love and have compassion for the self because so many people don't. And I mean, that's a big reason a lot of people come to therapy, right? Is problems that they, like how they think of themselves. It's not always about, Oh, my boyfriend, this, or, Oh, my mom did this. Like what it really comes down to is, okay, maybe your boyfriend did these things, but it's the thoughts about yourself that are leading you to have so much emotional dysregulation. So I can take all of my own experiences, the ones that I've lived, moved through, the extreme behaviors I've had, the extreme emotional dysregulation I've experienced. And I can, sometimes I do self-disclose to the benefit of my clients, um, especially with the type of therapy I practice. We tend to do it more always to their benefit, but it's something that I see a lot of, um, I see a huge benefit to a lot of my clients, like when I do it. So some clients have heard that I'm sober. Some clients have heard that I've had weight loss Um, for clients who are really fixated on like, I want to lose weight. That's what I need to be happy. I need to look a certain way. That's what I need to be happy. I can empathize with them and I can validate them. And I can say, I get it. I've been there. I know what that's like you know, and, and, and they know that like, oh, this person isn't, isn't like, like pretending like this is real. Like this is someone who I trust who's being genuine and being able to be radically genuine makes such a big difference. So, um, you know, all of my experiences have just helped me know more about what it's like to experience what they're experiencing. And then also to give them hope and tools to use to change that experience without necessarily having to go through as many extreme things that I did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the hope for a lot of us is like learn from someone else versus, you know, necessarily having to go through it all yourself, you know, and that's, that's a nice idea. It doesn't always happen that way, but I would love to know. I love kind of, um, asking people this question because, you know, I focus so much on worthiness and feeling worthy in your life. So like, how do you focus on continuing to like, hold on to that worthiness and that confidence? I feel like it's probably somewhat tied into your self-care routine and sort of like your self-love and stuff. But, you know, Mm -hmm. how do you continue to focus on reminding yourself that you're worthy and holding on to that worthiness? Well, I am a human. So sometimes, right, that changes. I think, especially if I'm feeling more vulnerable. So if I'm more tired or feeling like I've been pushing my limits too hard, it's a lot easier to slip out of feeling worthy. So when I get to those points, I, I again, listen, check in with myself. Oh, I'm not feeling as worthy. I need to rest. I need to take some time. I did this yesterday. I never hike in the afternoons or work out in the evenings. I've just, I don't like it. It's not my thing. Yesterday, I went for a hike in the evening because I recognized that's where I was at. And while I'm on this hike, I'm just 
considering all of the challenges I've overcome. I think about how capable I am. Um, again, reminding myself that I'm worthy just because I exist and that my worth is not contingent on what others think of me. Mm. So yeah, maybe I made some mistakes at work mm. or maybe I am not able to show up for my family or my friends like I'd want to because of X, Y, and Z. I know that that's, you know, it, my worth is not going to be changed because I have made some mistakes or haven't done things exactly how others want me to, to be. So, you know, for years now I've practiced changing my thoughts, my behaviors and words to align with my values. Um, and it's, I no longer have to work so hard to get there. So my brain goes to that place of focusing on worthiness, focusing on confidence without needing to force it as much as I used to. So it really does take retraining the brain in order to change where our thoughts automatically go. So even though my thoughts can go to unworthiness, mm -hmm. it's so much easier to shift them to worthiness and confidence now than it ever used to be. I love that. I think that that's something I've gotten a lot better at too. And I think it is tied to the willingness to have the conversation with yourself. Because as soon as you have that negative thought, if you can have your, like your cheerleader or your challenging voice come in and be like, wait, 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 why do I think that? Why do I feel that? You don't have to think that way, you know, and you can almost have this dialogue that eventually those more negative thoughts that have continuously just been your default are no longer as strong. They're no longer as powerful because you have this other voice that's like, uh, -uh. like, I know you think that, but like, we're not going to just let that thought sit there and sink in deeper to you. So I think that that is really powerful and something that anybody can do truly like we anybody can rewire you know the patterns in their brains it just takes acknowledgement of like I want to make this shift and I'm going to put in the effort to stop thinking this way about myself all the time and it takes so much time right you've been on this journey for a long time like as have I and have as have a lot of people but I do think it gets better and I do think it gets so much easier you know if you're continually willing to put in the work. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would love to know, you know, as you know, we kind of near the end of our chat, if mm -hmm. someone is considering a surgery like this, or, you know, feels like weight loss like this, is their answer? Is their key? Like, what would you say to someone who's in that season of their life? Or what do you feel like you would want to share with them? Well, I think that if someone is seriously considering it, they're at the point where they know a change is needed, right? And like, mm -hmm. I, I need, I knew that. I knew that I couldn't go on living the way that I was. I, I don't know what would have happened if I had being at the weight that I was at mm -hmm. such a young age, like things could have gone horribly mm -hmm. for me. And I have no regrets at all. I've never once thought, oh, I wish I didn't do that because then I became an alcoholic or, oh, I wish I didn't do that. And I just lost weight more slowly. And then I wouldn't have had to get the skin removed yeah. or whatever. And, and I, I do sometimes think being so active, I'm like, oh, I, I, how did I not get into this then if I, you know, love it now. And I, again, no regrets. I think that all of my experiences led me to who I am today mm -hmm. and allowed me to sort of actually get a jump start on my healing, because I don't think that most people who, are 30 years old have had the same life yeah. experiences I've had. Like for a lot of people, it's spread out a lot further. 
Um, that being said, I would suggest that if anyone is considering it, they consider all their options for change. Um, so obviously that change is needed. That's why they're considering it and consider what other ones there may be. Um, and also just be ready to address underlying mental health disorders. So, or issues or whatever else. So I know that they do have you get clearance from a psychiatrist or therapist or whatever. Um, but that's easy to do. So I think that it doesn't really get like everything that's really needed to be addressed doesn't absolutely not mm. get addressed. Um, so just be ready for that. Be prepared for what could come and be prepared to continue doing work because mm. it, it does help. It, it can help save people's lives. Mm. Like I don't, I have no judgment for anyone that wants to get that surgery. I had, my aunt did it after me and she, also like she got a little heavier into drinking but then moved out of it and you know like i have seen it happen though multiple times so we we switch addictions it's something that can happen it can switch to shopping it can switch to exercise it can switch to whatever it may be so just be aware that that can happen um and be mindful of the effects of it but i again no regrets that i did it i'm grateful for where i am um and for all the experiences I've had as awful as many of them were. Yeah. Oh, Mary, I think that's so beautiful. And I think that that's honestly like such a great way to be able to look back on your experiences and this process, because I do think I agree. It's like, you wouldn't be who you are. You wouldn't be helping the people that you're helping in the same way. You wouldn't be sharing this story right now. And like, yeah, of course, like there were absolute hardships that you would never have actively chosen, but the person that you are today is because of all that you've come through. And I think that that's really beautiful. And I feel like you, I just loved hearing your story and learning about this. And I think, again, seeing a deeper side to this whole process and this whole other side of weight loss and this choice for yourself. And again, absolutely making the choice for you is so important. And digging into all of the underlying issues is also important. You know, like you can't do one without the other. And I think that your story has really shown that like both mm -hmm. of those things can really result in a really beautiful life. And I think that's amazing. And I so appreciate you coming on and sharing that. Thank you so much. I was so grateful to be able to share my experience because for me, having had all these experiences, getting to share them and hopefully have some positive impact on the lives of others is part of why I think that I had them. It's not just for me to be able to be like, oh, I'm so amazing. I can do so much. I feel so good about myself. I love myself. That's great. But I do think that part of my story is that I get a lot out of being able to share that experience with others and pass on what I have learned and pass on um, the experiences I've had to hopefully benefit other people. So thank you for that opportunity. Yes. Well, thank you, Mary. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please go ahead and rate and review wherever you listen. I so appreciate it. Share it with friends. Feel free to email me or message me things that you want to hear more about or listen to. I want to make this something you enjoy and appreciate y'all's support and you being here. I hope y'all have a great day.